Thank you guys for being here today. Uh, for those of you who are watching online, maybe seeing us for the first time, those of you who are visiting for the first time, what we have been doing as a church over the last, uh, what we're doing for five years time is we're going through the Bible together. And so what we've been doing is reading as a congregation six days a week. And then when we come together, our, our sermons, whether Mark or myself or whoever comes in and shares, is from those passages, either in whole or in part. And uh, right now we are studying First Kings, and we are looking at the second half, the, the major portion of King Solomon and his ministry. This past week we read together as a congregation chapters 7 through 11. And we're just going to recap real quick, just to catch everybody up on what's going on here. So in chapter 7 through 11, we hear about Solomon building his palace and Solomon building the temple that was given to him by God through David's word. Uh, David was told by God, you're not going to build my temple, your son's going to build my temple. And that's Solomon who's, who's doing so. And so he takes 13 years to build his palace, and he takes seven years in order to build the temple of God. So he spends 20 years on these projects uh, that are huge and, and very, very time-consuming. They involve the entirety of the nation of Israel as it's being built up. There's this huge celebration, which a couple weeks ago in the introduction of First Kings, we went over the... Uh, coronation, you will, of the temple and what happened, the consecration of the temple and what it meant for the people of Israel. Uh, you can go back a couple of weeks to, to hear that sermon online. Um, however, when all of this takes place, God appears to, to Solomon again. And then in chapter 10, in 1 Kings chapter 10, we get an account of the Queen of Sheba coming from another land because she has heard of the greatness and the wisdom of of Solomon and the greatness of the God that he served. And what is interesting to me is I believe when we look at 1 Kings chapter 10, this is the pinnacle of the nation of Israel. This is all that God had hoped and imagined Israel would be. My people united, serving me, me blessing them, the world hearing of this blessing because of the obedience that comes from God and drawing all nations to himself. I believe we see that with the Queen of Sheba. I really do. As a matter of fact, Jesus would go on to say that the Queen of Sheba would condemn the people who were not listening to him because she had traveled far and wide to hear of Solomon's wisdom and now one greater than Solomon was there. So I believe no matter what, that Jesus by his words is basically saying that the Queen of Sheba walked away knowing the God of Israel. That's exactly the type of ministry the people of Israel were to be for the world. And we see that it's very short-lived. Because then we look and things take a sudden turn in 1 Kings chapter 11. That's what we're looking at today. So if you will, turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 11. We'll be reading the first 13 verses together. And it says this. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. And they were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. 
Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. And he had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. And as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. And he followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. And he did the same for all of his foreign wives, who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. And although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude, And you've not kept my covenant and my decrees which I commanded you. I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out in the hand of your son. Yet I will not tear out the whole kingdom from him, but it will give him one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, and for Jerusalem, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen." Let's pray together as we consider the Word of God. Lord, we thank you for our day together that we come in this place to worship you. And Lord, we pray as we look over this this passage of Scripture, Lord, that your Word would be living and active and penetrates our hearts and minds for those who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That through this word that is today, that we learn from these things in the past written in your word, Lord. That we might come to a fuller knowledge of Jesus as Lord and Savior and understand what it means to glorify God in our lives. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's an interesting passage of scripture, isn't it? Here Solomon has been, 20 years of his life and kingship and ministry has been dedicated for the upbuilding of the nation, upbuilding of the temple to glorify God. Everything is going well. God is blessing. If you read the passage, he said Solomon made it as if silver was just a common thing that everybody could have. It was so common in the place. God had so blessed the people of Israel because of the obedience and the honoring that had taken place in these first 20 years of his ministry as king of Israel. And then things changed. A couple things I I want us to note from this passage. Number one is this. If we look at verse 9, there's a very interesting thing that's said. It's also said in other places that we've read this week. It said, the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord and the God of Israel who had appeared to him twice. There are a lot of people today who would proclaim, you know, if God would only appear to me, I would serve him. If God would only just do something miraculous to make sure that there was nothing, no doubt in my mind that this is God, 
He is real and I should follow him with my life. I would absolutely do it. Let me tell you something. First thing I want you to learn from this passage is experience with God. The tasting of the Holy Spirit. God doing something miraculous in your life is not enough to keep you in obedience to Christ. It's not. You might think that it is. You might think that's exactly what you need, but it's not. And I see it all the time. This normally would be our camp season. We'd be in the midst of either going to camp or coming back from camp, and I see it every single year among youth. Because for four days, five days, six days, we come together on the mountain, and for six days, all we do is surround ourselves with teachings that draw us close to God. James chapter 4 and verse 8 says, come near to God and He will draw near to you. And so for a week, we get to do that. And we draw near to God. And there's so many experiences because youth who have gone to camp say, man, it is amazing. And part of the reason it's amazing is we do for a week what we're commanded to do all the time. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. You want those experiences. You draw near to God and you'll have them. Not all the time. Solomon only got it twice. Once at the beginning of ministry when he asked for wisdom and once when he appeared at the, at the coronation of the temple. And it wasn't enough to keep him faithful. People come back from camp all the time. Oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I've been a youth pastor for almost 19 years now. And I can watch it. Two weeks to two months later, most of them have gone back to their old life. Gone back to the old thing. You know why? Because everything was based upon experience. They're, They're so looking forward to going back to camp again. But they're not necessarily looking forward to staying faithful to God away from camp. Experience is never going to be enough. If you've had some experiences with God, they're not enough to hold you in a place of commitment and relationship with Christ. The second thing to note in this passage of Scripture is this, that the seeds of the downfall of the United Kingdom of Israel were planted in these actions of Solomon right here. We go from the highest of highs, the the utopian vision, if you will, of God and Israel in chapter 10 to planting the seeds of its destruction in chapter 11. Solomon loved him some women. You know, and we look, and it talks about in that passage that he married women that were of the land of Israel, that the Israelites were commanded of God not to do. And as Pastor Mark had mentioned, those outside of Israel, it was fine. There was no prohibition. But the ones inside of Israel, it was not good because they would drag them away to their gods and serve and worship other gods. And as we look in the scriptures and we look in Deuteronomy 17, we, as we did a few weeks ago, the, the king was supposed to not have many foreign wives, not have many wives at all. But where did Solomon learn this from? Unfortunately, he learned it from his father David who had many wives, not 700 and 300 concubine. Many of us in America today, we can't even imagine two wives, much less 700, Right? 
Men? You don't even want to imagine that many, right? The truth of the matter is, the seeds of the downfall of the United Kingdom happened right here. Because Solomon's wisdom was turned to foolishness because of disobedience. Solomon's wisdom was turned to foolishness because of disobedience. So he did exactly what he was not supposed to do. And what happened? Exactly what God said in his word would happen. If you marry within the people in this land who worship other gods, they're going to turn your hearts away and you're going to in turn worship those other gods. So here's what Solomon did as we just read in that passage of scripture. He not only began to worship those other gods, he began to build altars and high places for those other gods within the country of Israel and the city of Jerusalem, the very place by which the temple of God was built to be set apart for the people of God. All these high places, I'm, I'm going to do it not just for them, but he did it for all of his wives, whether they were in there or out of there. I'm going to build all of these altars, all of these other places to trip up the people of Israel that this idea of idol worship and this seed of idol worship would be something that trips them up until their eventual expelling from the land of promise. You see, Solomon is told because of his unfaithfulness, the kingdom is going to be ripped into two in his son's generation. And under his son's kingship, we have that to look forward to. And we will see that God is faithful to his word in our reading of next week. And it's going to be the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. But what you will see is this struggle from every king, whether it's the northern kingdom of Israel or the southern kingdom of Judah, to make a choice between being faithful to God or worshiping other gods within the land. By the way, that's exactly how God ends up judging the nation concerning whether he's going to send them to exile or not, is the worship of these other gods. Israel would be exiled first, the northern kingdom, around 704, 705 B.C. And about 120 years later, we would see the southern kingdom of Judah also exiled. But make no mistake, this all took place because of the seeds that were planted right here in the ministry of Solomon. It would take nearly 400 years for all of this to come to fruition, for them to get kicked out of the land for 70 years, for them to stay in exile and then come back. And when they come back, it made such an impression on the people of Israel as to why they were exiled. That at the end of Nehemiah, which we will read later this year, but it's important that we we look at it now. So if you'll turn to Nehemiah, the very last chapter. They've come back. They've been humbled. Nehemiah's rebuilding the walls. They're rebuilding Jerusalem. They're going to rebuild the temple so they can worship God again in freedom. And here at the very end, they begin to struggle with the very thing that got them in trouble in the first place. 
Nehemiah chapter 13, starting in verse 23. Moreover, in those days I saw men of Judah who had married women of Ashdod, Amnon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod or the language of one of the other peoples and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. And I rebuked them and I called curses down on them and I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair and I made them take an oath in God's name and said, you are not to give your daughters in marriage to their sons, nor are you to take their daughters in marriage for your sons or for yourselves. Was it not because of the marriages like these that Solomon, king of Israel, sinned? Among the many nations, there was no king like him. He was loved by his God, and God made him king over all of Israel. But even he was led into sin by foreign women. Must we now hear that you too are doing all this terrible wickedness and are being unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women? And so we're looking at this, and this is 400 years later. Trace back saying, hey, what's going to happen in this place? 400 years later, they dry, they, when they start doing the same thing that Solomon did, Nehemiah is there to remind them, this is the exact reason we got kicked out. It was because of this that we got kicked out. And you know what? We don't want to go down that path again. We want to remain faithful to God. And see, whenever we read the Old Testament, one of the things that that comes into our minds is asking ourselves, because we're told as believers that the Old Testament is valuable to us. It's valuable in two ways, because number one, Jesus fulfilled the promises of God for the people of Israel, especially as we look at the sacrificial system And we look at the promises that that are held in place. And so we have to ask ourselves, when we look at what has been mentioned here in this passage of Scripture, especially as it concerns marrying people who have served different gods or no god at all, does that apply to us as believers in Christ today? Or is this something that we can learn from, from the people of Israel, but has no necessarily bearing on us in the New Testament times where Jesus has fulfilled those things. Well, let's take a look. If we look in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we get a pretty definitive answer from Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 14, end in chapter 7 and verse 1. And it says this, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore come out of them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. So we look in this passage of Scripture and we see very clearly that that command for Solomon is a command for you and I today as believers in Christ. 
that you and I are supposed to not be yoked together with unbelievers. Do you know why? Because we're on mission. We have a command to go make disciples of all nations. That's what God has called you and I to do. We have an unbelieving husband, an unbelieving wife. Well, it makes things a lot harder, doesn't it? As a matter of fact, that's not what God wants. As a matter of fact, Paul is even more adamant when we look in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, when he talks about marriage at length in that chapter. And at the end of the chapter, he says this. He says, a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. Hear that caveat? She can marry whoever she wants, except he has to be a believer in Christ. If he's not a believer in Christ, she can't marry whoever she wants, right? And you know what's so funny? Is that we run into the same problem today. I see this so often. I have watched, because the strongest relationship we are supposed to have as believers is that with God, correct? That with our relationship with Jesus Christ. And our second most important relationship that we have is that with our spouse. And yet, I have seen so many times people, youth, who seem like they're on fire for Jesus and then they start dating somebody who's not a believer. And so they start dating somebody who's not a believer and you see what happens? Their fire goes away. You see, one of three things normally happen. Number one, they become very tortured in their spirit because of the fact that the person that they're around doesn't believe in Jesus. Number two, their faithfulness in Christ is cooled because they don't believe in Jesus. Or number three, they renounce the name of Jesus in order to be with this other person. It's usually what I see. And what's so funny is that just like this idea of experience, we have many in our society today who call themselves Christians and believers in Christ who think that their experience with this other person is enough to overcome the fact that Jesus isn't Lord of their lives. But they make me feel so nice. They make me feel so good inside whenever I'm around them, him or her. They care about me so much. Oh man, I know some Christians who aren't this nice. And they think that their experience can override the idea that their disobedience will reap the destruction that happens in their relationship. They think experience is enough to overcome it, and it's not. And it never was. It wasn't in Solomon's day, and it's not in our day today. Because Solomon's wisdom was turned to foolishness because of his disobedience. The same thing will happen with you. I dare say that with a group like this and a group watching online, some of you have unfortunately experienced this truth. The painfulness of what it means to be unequally yoked. And these things are all too true of understanding, yeah, this is, this is a hard thing to deal with. Some of you think that, that maybe I can get by by not doing something like that. 
And it won't affect me. Look, I, I'll tell you something. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ with all my heart. I have one rule for my kids. When it comes to dating, when it comes to finding their significant other, right? Here's my one rule. Whoever you're dating has to be a believer in Christ. And not just a believer in name only. Let's just be honest real quick, okay? That believer in name only is the type of person who goes to church but is really unaffected by Christ. There's nothing of Jesus in their life. There's no fruit that's coming out. I don't want that type of Christian for my daughter. I don't want that type of Christian for my son. I have told them it has to be an on-fire believer in Jesus. On fire. 100% sold out for Jesus. You know why? Because if I get an on-fire believer for Jesus for my kids, I get everything else I want for them. How many of you parents worry about your kids having premarital sex? Raise your hand. Of course, we don't want that, right? That's not in God's will. But you know what? If I have an on-fire believer in Christ, guess what? They don't want that either. You know why? They see themselves as the temple of the living God, right? And I don't want to dishonor this temple. Does it mean that they'll always do the right thing? No, it doesn't. But it does mean this, that when they do do the wrong thing, what's their reaction going to be? Because they want to please God. They're going to repent. They're going to turn away from that, right? Because they're going to keep their eyes on Jesus, Isn't that what we want for our daughters and for our sons? Correct? Right? That's what we want. See, if I get that with my my children and the people that they date, I get everything else I want with that because they love Jesus. So I have the one requirement. That's it. On fire believer for Jesus. That's all I've ever told them. Nothing else matters. I don't care what music they listen to. I don't care what color their hair is. I don't care how many piercings they have on my face. If they tattooed their body all over the place. I don't care nothing else. You know why? Because if they love Jesus, it covers everything else. Right? I don't have to worry about anything else. I don't care. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But do we believe that enough to put all of our eggs in that basket? That the obedience that comes from following Jesus will result in the type of peace and ministry that he wants in our life. Because you and I have a a mission from God to do, to fulfill the great commission, to make disciples of all nations. In other words, that's what I want my daughter and whoever might be her mate to be, right? That's what I want for my son and whoever might be his spouse to be, right? That they stay focused on what Jesus wants them to do. And therefore, if they have a husband and wife, they'll be working together for that same focus of saying, I want to make the Lord's name great in my family. And that means, guess what? When they have kids, what are they going to do? They, want to, they will be together and saying, I want to raise my children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. See, if we don't do that as parents, if we don't do that in our dating relationships, you know what we miss out on? That perspective. And we are so short-sighted because we trade in a momentary gleeful experience for a lifetime full of pain. See, Solomon's love of all of these wives and his heart going in all of these different places led to a lifetime full of pain for both the northern and southern kingdoms as they were dependent upon hoping that their leadership might keep them faithful as they continued to serve God and they most assuredly didn't. 
And they kept worshiping those other gods that had been introduced because of Solomon, because of all of his foreign wives, into the land. And you think about yourself and think about your family situation. You get married to a non-believer because of the experience and you hope that you might be able to change him or change her. I've heard this conversation. And God in his grace may do that. But 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says, how do you know, O wife, that you can save your husband? Husband, how do you know you can save your wife? You have no guarantees. Zero guarantees if you find yourself in that type of relationship. God can absolutely redeem, but there's no promise of it. So he asks you and I to be faithful because he wants a holy heritage so that we're focused on sharing the love of Christ to a needy world that needs to see him. But if we don't have that in our own family, let me just break this down on how this works out in reality. So you think everything is fine and you get married and and you're like, woo, I love him or I love her so much. And then the conflict begins over Jesus. Not so much with you, but when your kids show up on the scene. And now you want to raise them in the Lord, but they don't. You want them to know Jesus and follow him, but but your spouse, him or her, has a real issue with the church. And so it ends up that either your kids, through great struggle, end up going with you by yourself... Or you give up going altogether. And now we have the next generation that comes up from that generation who hasn't been raised in the Lord. And so it's a really, really uh, dicey thing as to whether or not they are even trying to seek after somebody who knows Jesus. And now we have grandparents worried about grandkids knowing Jesus because the daughter or the son who may have been at one time on fire for Jesus chose a mate that didn't know Jesus at all. And now it's all worked itself out in their family through all these generations. Was it worth the experience of feeling that love? Losing your mission and the joy and peace that comes to you only in Jesus Christ. This is why experience will never be enough. It's momentary, it's fleeting, it lasts only a moment. Solomon couldn't hold on to his experiences with God to keep him faithful to God. It requires a resolute action on your part and my part saying, you know what? I refuse to turn the wisdom of God into foolishness through disobedience. God knows better. I will live my life in such a way that I glorify Christ with every part of my being, including the relationships that God brings to me. So I don't want to be unequally yoked. I don't want the destruction that comes with that. The things that I don't see at this very moment will reap a whirlwind in your relationship at a later time. And God wants holy offspring set apart for Him. You know how that's best achieved? Through a mom and dad who love Jesus with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength who are on mission for God, who want to make a difference for Jesus Christ in unity, 
as husband and wife and then as family together as you have sons and daughters that you're raising up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. See, this is what God wants for you. This is what God wants for me. But it takes a commitment on our part to say, God's wisdom is better than mine. I don't care how I feel. I don't care what these experiences bring. I want the redemption that comes in Jesus Christ. You know, what Jesus wants to do with your life is very similar to what God wanted to do with the people of Israel. See, we saw that in chapter 10. The Queen of Sheba came because of the blessing of God through the obedience of Solomon, because of his faithfulness in building the temple and building up the kingdom of God. During that period of time, the whole world had heard of both his wisdom and the God who gave him that wisdom. God wants to do the same thing in your life. He wants God, he wants Christ to be glorified in your life as a husband, in your life as a wife, so that it will be shown in your kids and everybody who comes in contact with your family will say, man, there's something different about them. There's something different about them. Why is it that they have peace amidst this time of chaos? Why is it that things seem to just go off the backside of them? Why is it that they seem more content with their lives and they have much less than I do? Why? It's because of Christ. And a united front of believing in Jesus and our family. And that our family didn't settle for somebody who didn't love Christ to be their mate, but decided in unity that in order to make disciples, in order to honor God, we weren't going to be unequally yoked. We were going to look for somebody who's on fire for Jesus Christ so that we could have holy children and a holy family and keep us on our task of making disciples to all nations. See, I I believe, honestly, 100% today, there are some of you, whether you're watching online or whether you're here, who have some decisions to make concerning this idea of who's going to be in your life closest to you. Is it going to be just however you feel around a certain person? Or is it going to be somebody who's committed 100% to Jesus? You will settle for nothing less because God has called you to make disciples. He doesn't want you divided. He wants His name to be glorified through you. And that can only be done when you will not trade out the wisdom of God For a fleeting feeling that leads to disobedience. Some of you might be in a relationship like that right now. You're not married yet, but you're dating. I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. You're free to marry anybody except they have to be in the Lord. And if they're not in the Lord, you shouldn't be dating them. Because God doesn't want something better. And I want to save you from that tragedy that I just described. There are others here who could talk about that type of tragedy. And what that realistically looks like. And I don't say it to call them out. Sometimes we all learn by the school of hard knocks, don't we? I want to see a heritage raised up. 
as uncompromising in their belief in Jesus Christ. I want something different for your family that you can experience what God had promised the people of Israel that he would be faithful to a thousand generations to those who love him and obey his commands. I want to see that in your life, in your lineage, in your family. That is from generation to generation. Man, I loved what Chris said today concerning fishing. Didn't you? I hate fishing. Now I see it totally differently. (laughs) All because of your dad, Chris. Good job. But it's the truth. Why do we fish? For the glory of God. For the glory of God. That should be your life. That should be my life. Every decision that you and I make to change it out for a lie is to only wish destruction on the heritage we wish to build and that God wishes to be holy in our lives. Some of you find yourself in that position. You're unequally yoked. Maybe you came to Christ while you were, while you were married. Had nothing to do with you were seeking that out. You were already married. Both of you were, were pagans, heathens, didn't know Jesus. And one of you have come to know Jesus, the other one doesn't. It happens. That's what 1 Corinthians 7 is all about, by the way. And I want to comfort you with those passages. But I would love to pray for you. Because I know that God can reach down and change that heart. Right? I do. I believe that with all my heart. I was that person. I can honestly say that. I'm preaching to you today something we didn't live out. Right, babe? Sorry, it's the truth. She missionary dated. I was not a Christian when we started dating. Okay? <laughs> not proud of that. That's not the advice I give my kids. It's not an obedience to God. We, God overcame our ignorance and foolishness. Correct? It's like you just call me ignorant and foolish in front of everybody. Thanks. God is redemptive, okay? God can do that in your situation too. But it's not going to be easy because you're going to be fighting to make the Lord Lord of your household, right? You've got to start with your household before you can start with the world. Some of you are praying for your grandkids. You want to see them raised up in a heritage and somewhere along the way, something fell off. Maybe they're unequally yoked. Maybe, maybe just something happened where, where doubts in their faith have come up. God can start that godly heritage again. But it has to start with a commitment that you and I are not going to trade out the wisdom of God and have it become foolishness through disobedience. And we need that for our next generation and the next generation beyond that. But our God is good. He can redeem that which is broken. And make it right. I'm living proof of that. Do you stand with me? Women, you are powerful people. You can cause the rise and downfall of nations due to your allegiance to God or not. Men, you are powerful people. You can cause the prosperity or the desolation of nations based upon your faithfulness to Jesus Christ or not. May you and I choose a godly heritage with all of our heart, all of our soul, 
all of our mind, all of our strength. And may God bless that to the thousands that love him. God, I thank you for today. I just pray in the name of Jesus that if there are any here today who are in a relationship right now that's based solely upon feeling and experience and not based upon a shared commitment in Jesus Christ, that you right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray would give them the strength to cast off that relationship until such time that they might run into another relationship or that relationship can be brought under the banner of Jesus. I pray for families that are broken in this way. I pray for redemption, dear Heavenly Father, for the husband, for the wife that does not know you, dear Heavenly Father, that they may come to know you, that you may redeem them through the blood of Jesus Christ and bring into obedience this household that needs to come to know Jesus so they can be on mission and making disciples of all nations. And God, I pray for those of us who may not be in relationship yet, that you would give us a commitment in our heart that we would settle for nothing less. I don't care how great a feeling is that we would settle only upon the wisdom of God found in Jesus Christ that we would recognize, oh Lord, that obedience leads to wisdom and disobedience makes wisdom foolish. Help us, dear Heavenly Father, to create a godly heritage for this generation and the next and the next just based in an uncompromising commitment to following you wholeheartedly and settling for nothing, nothing less. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.